Is it time to upgrade to a vehicle that's right for your needs today? Get all the options you need at todaysdrive.com. Brought to you by Black Press Media. We'll get you into the perfect vehicle without the struggle of hours spent trying to find what's right for you. We're here to help make your search quick and easy, connecting you with a huge inventory of new and used cars, trucks, and SUVs. Powered by Black Press Media. Visit todaysdrive.com. PQ Beat is the official podcast of the Parksville Qualica Beach News. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm Peter McCulley. Coastal Carvings Fine Art Gallery in Coombs and its artists will be the subject of a documentary series on APTN featuring the process of creating fine art pieces. Jeremy Humphreyville, artist and gallery owner, joins us in the studio to chat about just that. Thanks for joining us today, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Jeremy, you grew up on Haida Gwaii. Perhaps you could tell us the story of how you became an artist. Yeah, there's a place that a good word would be untouched. Even though you get some visitors, it's a very small community, and you really feel like you can go step somewhere that no one's ever stood. It's maybe not exactly that way, but it feels like you could. You're one with nature. You're watching things happen all the time, and my whole family were artists. So my father was an artist, great aunt, grandma, aunt, My brother and myself followed suit, but it wasn't immediate. We were just brought up with a pencil in our hand as entertainment. We had one TV channel. And, you know, really the only thing to watch on that was maybe hockey on the weekend. The rest of the time you spent outside or inside. It it rained forest coast, a lot of rain. It'd be raining and we'd be inside drawing. And pencils were our main entertainment. Not that we were deprived of toys, but really we saw drawing as fun. And that's the way art was introduced to us. It was as an activity for fun. My grandma would sit us down and have an art activity for us every time we went to see her. So that's the base of what we were raised with and what we were just accustomed to was being artists. And never spoken as this is being an artist. It was just, that was entertainment. So it was just a natural progression as we grew older that we watched our family help with different projects, especially when my uncle really got heavy into carving full-time We helped with his projects and it was something we enjoyed, but then to step into your own artwork and do your own projects is really when you felt fulfilled. What mediums are you most comfortable in? You know what? There's no medium we won't try. As an artist, if you just say I do wood or I do glass or I do metal, you really give yourself a limited opportunity to react to every situation. So when a client comes to you and they have a unique space, we will always try and adapt to that. And that may mean going outside into a medium we've never even tried before and having a comfortable conversation where we'll talk to someone who has and we'll either collaborate or just do the research and try and work in that medium ourselves. So we've worked in wood, metal, glass, in different mediums that we have to mix up, like epoxies and different things. But primarily wood is what we love. We love the grain of wood, the look of wood. It's primarily what we love, but it doesn't mean that we won't try any other medium. What woods do you work with primarily? Our model of being an artist has changed so much over the years. So primarily when it came to carving, the yellow cedar, red cedar, alder, maple would be the primary woods. But when you go off and you start adding in functional art, which has become a massive part of our business, when it comes to building properties, those are not the premium woods to use. So we use Douglas fir from the coast. We use many other woods, actually. There's, again, there's where the spectrum opens up to the world. We end up using African hardwoods. We have to use woods from all over the world to 
add color without adding stain. So we like to really take natural tones and add them together to make contrast rather than actually staining the wood. Our idea is don't cover up the beauty of the wood, let the wood show through. So it, we end up using wood from all over the world. So if you're not staining the wood on functional art pieces, are you using oils? The movement has been towards finishes that don't off-gas. So you put your finish on. In the past, even the last 10 years, a lot of finishes had a carrier. And it was basically, let's just call it gasoline. It's something that evaporated. But any one of the INE products, so they would basically, you put it on and they would evaporate and let the finish harden really fast. So the idea was get it on and let it dry really fast because you have this evaporant. But it was carcinogenic, <laughs> really bad for you. And a lot of people say once you have it in your house, they've all off-gas. They all off-gas over a long period of time. It's not good for you. So now we use a lot of German products. And they're in the forefront of hard wax oils, which are tree and plant waxes and oils that we impregnate into a finish. And they dry slowly and they harden slowly. And you do multiple coats and do a buildup. It just keeps everybody healthy, including us. My brother was actually suffering health problems from using the other finishes. Jeremy, you've created a lot of different pieces over the years and some original pieces developed with ideas from your clients. Yeah, I think that's the unique approach we have. As an artist, some insight. So you get very comfortable. You're like, okay, I can do this. I know I can draw this eagle, this raven. And you get very comfortable with that. And you can do variations of it quite easily. So when you come into a client's home, I could easily say, I can make you a beautiful raven that you'll never not like, and I can put it on that wall, and I'd be comfortable with that idea. Every time I do this process, I try harder, but the process is where I go in now and I try and listen. So I try and listen to the client and what they're asking of me. I try not to superimpose my own idea on that. And that's difficult, because in an artist, you're going to be creative and have an idea and think, well, I could do this, it'd be wonderful. A lot of times, you actually have to put that aside and put it in a little box in your head, because you don't want to say it, you want to just let them go, and then... Once the client has told you things that are very precious to them, their thoughts and ideas, then you start building a new idea based on that. And I allow that to create a picture in my head. So this process we use now is whenever possible, visit the site because a picture doesn't say a thousand words. You need to see the space and the scope and what's around it and what's the rest of their house feel like or the rest of their space. Or if it's going to be just a picture and it's overseas or somewhere I can't see, I'll ask for multiple pictures and really get a sense of the person, their style, but also their idea. Sometimes it'll be as simple as a single thought. They'll say to me, I want a piece about personal growth. Now that just opens the door to, okay, what's that going to be? And I struggled with that design. I did that one about two years ago, and I struggled with that for maybe two or three months until I found where I'd go with it and created a piece that when I shared it with the clients, there was an emotional response, and you nailed it. And <laughs> that's that pleasure of, okay, you know what? I took on that challenge, I didn't superimpose my own ideas, and I truly let the client dictate what was going to go on. That's fulfilling, but it's also difficult because it's not your natural tendency. Your natural tendency is to stay with what's comfortable, and that's with what you know. <laughs> How did you and your wife Darlene find your way to Coombs to open your gallery? It was right after we were married. I went to Darlene's father, we were talking about this potential marriage, <laughs> and the first question he asked me, what are you going to do to support my daughter? And so I said the plan was that we were going to get married. I was going to remain an artist to start an art gallery and off to the races. And he says, what are you really going to do? That's not going to work. And we were living in the mainland at the time, and that's where I met her. And the environment was a mountain you couldn't climb. The rents for a sliver of space in a retail area that had any sort of traffic was tens of thousands of dollars. And it seemed like a hill you couldn't climb, because how are you going to get that overhead? And if you didn't make it in your first month, were you going to be able to survive two months? And so really, 
it did seem like a dream at the time. But we came to Vancouver Island and a friend had moved here. And we stayed in Qualcomm Beach and enjoyed ourselves so much that it was the end of the month and we phoned and gave notice and moved without any other plan. This is like two months after being married. So this was okay. You know what, here we go. We're in this brand new environment, but the plan didn't change. But now we're in an area where it was more reasonable. Within our first year of being here, we opened Coastal Carvings with literally some of my own art, some friends' jewelry, and just said, I can make something for you. And a business model that didn't even have retails for really for sale other than a few small pieces of jewelry. So that's our initial beginnings with Coastal Carvings. So you're going to be enjoying some national exposure on television when a TV series that you've been proud of is released. I know that you were followed around by a camera crew for a few months uh, earlier this year. How did the whole TV show concept come about? I was working again in another medium. I'm not a welder or a metal person, but I have a friend who is. Got a chance to do some exterior art on the building, and it had to be just for longevity, and it couldn't be really touched for years. It had to be done in metal. So it's 35 feet of metal art, and it was going to be a six-month project of welding and fabricating. I was there overseeing and making sure all my lines stayed true, and my friend was doing this, and one of his relatives pulls up, and he says, what are you guys doing there? That's amazing. And I said, this is what we do, and this is what the client has called for. He says, is all your art that way? And I said, probably in the 90 percentile is done to order for clients where we'd rather give them something unique to them. He thought that was fascinating. So he went by the gallery and he looked through the books and he said, okay, there's a story here where you can follow the raw materials to these finished pieces. People would just love to see that story. I never thought too much of it. I get a call maybe six months later and he's like, I have this proposal for this show. And at that point, he was spinning it as a little bit of reality TV. And I was like, ah, I can't stomach that. I said, my brother and I really trying to respect our art, our artists. And to have that approach to it, it was going to maybe ruin the gallery even. Just give you a really bad taste in the mouth to people who are serious about art. So I said, no, we can't do that. So they came back probably a year later with a new concept of, hey, listen, we'd still love this story, but let's do it as a docuseries where the mandate will be no lines. I mean, we literally follow the truth of the process and that really appealed to us, but I was still, <laughs> we still didn't really have the desire to be on TV. And my brother was like a hard no, we don't, I don't want to be on camera. And I said, but as a business person, I had to think, that, okay, you know what, this exposure for a gallery that doesn't really advertise would be amazing. And word of mouth has been great, but it doesn't hurt to try and support your career long term. So after some discussion, we agreed that we do test filming to appease both of us to see what this would look like. So they test filmed, they did a demo, we looked at it and we were amazed. They took what we'd said, which is unscripted, and they made it into a very cinematic, beautiful experience. And I was like, you know what, I can be associated with that. My brother, it changed his mind. He's like, yeah, okay, fine. So we agreed to this. And again, another year goes by. At the time, they said, okay, you know what, this is literally, even though we've done this demo, we're going to submit this, it's like winning the lottery. There's so many people who want to have something on TV. They said, don't get your hopes up. Don't even think about this. Just forget about it. Because really, even though we've done all this work, this pre-work, the chances of getting this are like literally winning the lottery. So he takes off. And again, maybe a year and a half later, I'd had a car accident and injury, so I wasn't able to do it at that point in time. So I'm recovering. I get this phone call and says, yeah, we've been accepted and it's going ahead. And then you panic. <laughs> the panic sets in. My brother's no, say no. And I said, we gave our word. And they put the time and energy into this. So we decided, okay, we proceed forward. And that's how the, it came to be. And now we've been filming for the last six months. <laughs> how did you like having the camera crew follow you around? That's an adjustment. 
I can't say they've been unprofessional anyway. Very kind, very professional, but it's an adjustment. And we both realize now it takes more time than you think. Even though you're not scripting a line, they have to be able to watch what you're doing. So you're waiting moments for them to set up to get ready before you start your day. There's some more people to have to worry about. If we go to see a client, I'm bringing along a crew with a second vehicle. I have to talk to my clients to make sure that's okay. And <laughs> there's, there's all these little things. But, so it turned into a little bit of a second job, honestly. And I didn't really expect that part of it, but I guess it comes with what the process is. And all my clients, other than one client, which I gave everybody the option, I didn't know if any would agree. They were like, oh, no, this is great. We love to have our project followed. So it's been great, and it's been well-received. I wanted to go back to something for a moment. You talk about the show following the artists in the different stages of their processes and searching out the raw materials for the artistic piece. So tell me about the raw materials and the journey. What you start with is what you end with. So if you start with a really flawed piece of wood, artistically, you can find a way around that and make it good. You're at high-end art when people are expecting it to be the showcase of a lifetime or a family heirloom. Why wouldn't you start with superior materials? By that level, there's no need to start with a poor piece of wood. So I always say that wood's not scrap. It can be used structurally, it can be used somewhere, but it doesn't have to be a flaw in the middle of their beautiful piece. So I don't try and make an excuse and sell people on the fact that, oh, that flaw's in there because it's just wood. I try and choose really good pieces. So now inherently that comes with the issues of there are not every piece of wood is good, so you're searching. And we go to specialty wood shops. We even go to luthiers and look for their guitar wood that's considered perfect. And they'll go, oh, that's really expensive. You're not going to afford that and do art out of it because that's for guitars. And that's not it. We will. We'll pay that kind of money for wood that is superior, someone's held on to for a lifetime. And we see that piece of art just as nice as that fancy guitar they were going to make out of it. We search all over, and then the search for materials can even go as far as I'm looking at some jade in a gold mine that's in a river, and the fellow thinks we can harvest it, and I want to add some jade to a piece. And I've held on to this piece of finished art, and I won't finish it until I have the jade to put in it, and I've had it for seven years. <laughs> so a lot of times your search for materials limits your finishing of a project, and until I get that jade, that piece will not be finished. And it's going to be full of BC jade, but it's one of those things that that search continues, and then when you get it, it's that aha moment, oh, I'm glad I waited. Who are some of the artists that are going to be featured from the gallery on the show? Yeah, we have Levi Perjou, one of our youngest artists. So he's 40 years old, which in the art world is fairly young to have actually made it to the point of displaying, showing, and actually working as a full-time artist. And that's the decision he made only a couple of years ago to go full-time. And he's a painter and a sculptor and a friend that I grew up with in Haida Gwaii. So he's an amazing young Taltan artist. And then there's also Lisa Shepard. She's a Métis artist. She's a beadwork artist, has her work in museums. She's well-renowned in preserving the way the beadwork was done and quill work and different styles of um, like dress. She's teaching my daughter on the show. So she teaches my daughter how to bead. We exchange some knowledge. We do lots of exchanges of knowledge where she's sharing with us and we're sharing with her woodworking skills how to make different pieces that would support her work and uh, traditional packs for babies and that sort of things. It's really neat to have them on board. And also, of course, Jarrett and myself, we have our work, but also collaborative work with people in the community. So we have Christopher Smith, who does Glass Fish locally, amazing artist. And we do lots of collaborative pieces where his pieces are intertwined with ours and they become multimedia pieces. And it's awesome. And then also there's Lauren Hussey, he's my wood turner. And honestly, 
he learned from one of the best, Douglas Fisher, who was a staple in the community for his success. And Douglas came to me a few years later and said, hey, listen, I have one apprentice, one that I would put on to you to replace myself when he went to retire. And he says, this is him. And Lauren and I have been working together for three years. I understand your daughter has just completed her first carving project. As a parent, it's really hard not to always talk to your kids and explain life to them. Okay, I was never pushed to be an artist, and no word artist wasn't even really mentioned. We were just doing it. (laughs) So same with her. I really held back from ever saying, hey, this is the family business. Maybe you could come along and try, because I seen her ability, but I didn't want to stifle it. So both my wife and I held off. Then last year, a year before the filming, she comes to me and she says, Dad, I'd like to start carving. Just completely out of the blue, it almost seemed... Like, there's no prompting. And I was, like, so proud. I was like, okay, yes, I'm not going to say much, but, I, you know, I'm really happy about this. So she starts designing. I go through the process of all the different forms, how they relate to each other. And she designs this paddle. And this year, actually probably in the next week or so, her first paddle will be finished. So we're really proud of her for the effort she put in. And it's probably better than my brother and I did for our first pieces, just because she's had his knowledge. To, she's gone to see my brother at the workshop met with him, met with me, and she's taken everything we've given her and put it into this pile. So Osmosis. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) We first ran into each other about 10 or so years ago, I believe, when we were photographing the music by the Sea House in Qualicum Beach. Tell us about that project that you worked on, and how long did it take? I had a vision, and it was taking art and moving it forward from just one medium of a paddle, a box, a wall panel, and saying, okay, Let's add it, not change the forms in it, but let's add it to furniture. Let's add it to make it functional and make it part of people's lifestyle. That was a huge goal that I had because we had a bit of a building background and I had workshop and tools. I started making and collaborating on low tables, benches, and an armor for the gallery, which carvings on them. And these clients walked in. They looked at my books. I had a couple doors at that point, very normal doors with kind of a carved panel. And they saw the furniture and the husband says, if I was to ever have a door done, I would like you guys to do it. And he says, if you could do this quality, you can do it on my house. And I said, if you ever go to do that, please come to me first. Because we had a thing with builders that if you're introducing something new to the market, there's always a holdback. People would want doors, they come and order them and the builders would know they put their hands up, not in this house. And what they meant is was not a slight on me. They were just like, they didn't want the hassle of waiting for a custom door How are we going to finish it? Are you going to be late? All these different things that came with that, just that idea. I had multiple builders stop me in the middle of process and say, no, this is not happening in this house. And the the owners would put their head down and say, I guess we can't do it. And this was the opposite. People were coming to me and we were having this idea before the house even started. So I said, please come to me right away. And so they did. They They were still looking at plans for their house. They came to me for the door. And they were very open with their conversation. They're like, we really love... Our children, number one, of course, and the music and the ocean. So that was the three themes. And as they were talking, I had this picture forming in my head. And I had probably had the biggest goofy grin on my face because I'd actually designed the entire piece right there during the conversation in my head from what they were sharing with me. And I couldn't wait for them to leave only because I wanted to get a pencil onto paper. <laughs> and it probably took me two weeks to get that out of my head. But that first piece, the Lost Stradivarius, was a violin in the ocean with the kelp grasping the violin and the bow and the seahorse reaching under their sons. And I got this on and they came in and saw it and they loved it. And they said, you have to be part of the rest of the house. <laughs> and from that point on, it was a relationship with they forced a meeting between the builder and I. He was busy. I was busy. And they said, you guys have to meet. And honestly, you have to give credit to a builder. So Dan McLeod 
from Camelot Homes, he completely embraced the idea of it being an art house. That was what the owners actually wanted. They wanted an art house. They loved the arts, whether it be music, painting, or carving. We'd have daily meetings over four years to make sure that everything, even the baseboards, were hand-designed and custom. So that house is really a living piece of art. I'm hoping it's preserved forever because it's really a testament to this area and what we have in local talents because there were so many local artists. I involved 10 different artists in that house. I may have done the designs, but I had multiple helpers and the builders that were able to accomplish it. That became the most awarded house in Canada. It swept the Island Awards and it went on to BC's highest achievement. It was amazing what that house on Vancouver Island has accomplished in our small community. I was in your gallery recently and saw a chest of drawers. I was amazed at the precision of the drawers. They didn't seem to need guides or any mechanical assistance. Everything just fit perfectly, like a glove, as they say. That must be very time-consuming. Part of being an artist is, it's usually called a condition where you're there, like, oh, they're an artist, and it's an excuse for behavior. Reason and common sense usually go out the door. So unfortunately, my brother and I see the projects as art. It is functional, but we approach it as art. So everything has to be perfect. And the time factor, it's not that we don't respect our time, but we often forget the time it's going to take to do different things. But we do it because there's something more important than the dollar at the end. And you know what that is? Reputation. When people like yourself come in the gallery and say, wow, look at this, I can't believe it. There was unbelievable amounts of time, and it's not always reflected even in the price. But that reputation is what's kept us busy and keeps us working. To treat each project as fine art, that's the result. You're truly every joint, every slide, every glide, how's that going to feel? We go through that process and test it before we put it together to make sure that's what the end result is, an artistic end result. So. You mentioned the gallery and people coming to see you and your reputation. The last couple of months have been pretty challenging on the Alberni Highway, keeping people shuttling back and forth from the West Coast to Parksville, Qualicum Beach, and all points in between. Uh, how has that uh, impacted the businesses in the Coombs area? It's been huge. I talked to multiple businesses all the way down to Victoria, just fairly local market, and it's not just us. There's been a large decrease since August of last year, we felt challenges in the marketplace. But we're very fortunate to have long-term projects. So we're on some homes for a year or two years and other problems that we're in discussion on. And that really has sheltered us. It's been a blessing to have these homes that people allow us to be on for lengths of period of time that keep the funds flowing to be able to do what we do. All that time that we spent, overspent on a lot of projects, it pays for itself in the long run. It's an investment. It's not like investing in an advertisement, really. You've invested extra time knowing that you might not get paid for it, but it's that best foot forward of here's what we're capable of. A bit of an insulation for us from the economy. Thanks for being with us today, Jeremy. Well, thank you. Jeremy Humperville, Coastal Carvings artist and gallery owner. That's this edition of PQ Beat. If you have comments or suggestions, you'll find our contact information on our website, pqbnews.com. Why spend hours searching dealerships, comparing makes and models? Find the best of BC's inventory in one place, todaysdrive.com. You'll have access to inventory across BC, where you can easily find a vehicle that fits your needs and gets you where you need to go in comfort. Get in the driver's seat. Don't miss out on the many options we have available for you. Powered by Black Press Media, todaysdrive.com connects you with exclusive new and used car deals.